Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 224, recorded on January 19th, 2022. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. And we start with what we might normally report as some good news. That's a surge of activity over at the LVFS project. Unfortunately, this boost in traffic appears to be due to vendors releasing some new firmware updates ahead of disclosing what might be some security fixes. Uh-oh, yeah, Michael Larble over at Pharonix noticed this, and he put together with the fact that last summer something like this kind of happened right before Dell had to push out a BIOS update. Also kind of giving us a hint that something might be going on. Richard Hughes, who runs the LVFS project, the lead developer, also tweeted that it's almost like a vendor is shipping updates like crazy for a high-security upcoming issue. Which uh, I think is him basically saying that's exactly what's happening. (laughs) Probably a good reminder to patch your hardware, though. Yeah, definitely. There is some good news, though, for the project. The FWAPD component, that's the part that runs on your computer and does the actual updates, saw a new version. Yes, FWAPD 174 adds firmware branch support for modem manager devices, improved patching, and a variety of bug fixes. And, of course, Support for some new hardware. Some hardware that I'm really happy to see in here. HP's USB-C G2 dock, now supported by FWAPD. The ThinkPad Thunderbolt 4 dock, now supported. Also, the uh, QCell LTE modem, also on this list. There's just some good stuff on here. It is supremely awesome to see these USB docks getting some support and that Thunderbolt dock because those have upped my work-at-home game to the next level. And getting support right there in my Linux machine to update these, well, I mean, that's actually going to just determine which ones I buy going forward. I think it was really nice to sort of be included in this round of hardware support. You know, like 10 years ago, I feel like we'd be be lucky enough that these might work on Linux at all, let alone any hope of being able to update or work with their firmware. But with some of these docs, it feels like Linux really is a first-class citizen, and updates like these are key to making that happen. Well, moving up the stack a bit, GNOME 42's Alpha is out. This is a big one because Libidwadia ships in this, and it's also a transition from my tried and my true love, G-Edit, to the new modern GNOME text editor that has been developed by the same developer who built GNOME Builder. So I have some high hopes for it, but there's also just a lot of technology under the hood, some transitions happening with this one. Yeah, libadwaita is here, and GNOME 42 will be depending on it in more than a couple ways. Sure, apps and modules are migrating over there. That's going to continue the next few cycles, I expect. But this time around, the GNOME desktop module now works with GTK4, and the internals have been split out into three libraries. It might not sound like much, but I think this is the release you can tell that. GNOME's getting serious about GTK4 and and the next evolution of the desktop. Yeah, and you have to figure getting the GNOME desktop module itself to build against GTK4 and all of the work that went into that was a huge amount of effort just for this release alone. This really does feel like the release where GTK4 is finally getting taken advantage of and you're really seeing things make the transition. And with GTK4, you get a lot of niceties, some GPU acceleration, Things look a little nicer. I mean, there's a lot happening here with this release simply because of the embracement of GTK4. Now, 
This is an alpha phase, so you kind of have to be a diehard to go try it at this point in time. But if you wait, there will be another release scheduled for mid-February, and then the final release of GNOME 42 desktop environment is expected on March 23rd, 2022. Well, the cat is out of the bag, so to speak. SUSE formally announced today that they've got a new support offering targeted at mixed Linux environments within the enterprise. They've named it SUSE Liberty Linux. No, it's not a distro. It's a little bit more dialed back than that, but it is it is a mixed environment enterprise offering. So if you have some virtual machines that have SUSE and CentOS, as they put it, they would be happy to sell you a support package that helps cover all of them. They write in the announcement, SUSE Liberty Linux is a new technology and support offering that provides customers a unified support experience for managing their heterogeneous IT environments. With SUSE Liberty Linux, you get trusted support with optional proven management tools that are optimized for mixed Linux environments, including Red Hat Enterprise Linux, CentOS, and, as you would expect, OpenSUSE and SUSE Linux Enterprise Server. Now, uh, I happen to go on the website to go buy it, but as of this recording, it was just announced today, you can't actually buy it on their online store. So I guess you got to call in and, and talk to a salesperson. Something tells me you might not be doing that. Now, we were going off of some repository statistics that showed us that at one point, there was a CentOS clone out there identifying itself as SUSE Liberty Server. And one has to wonder if at one point, SUSE Liberty Linux was going to also include a Linux distribution and not just a support service. It doesn't seem impossible. Right. Or do they just get a little overzealous in uh, how they configured things with their new daemon on top? Perhaps the sales department said, um, excuse, excuse us, how are we going to sell SUSE Enterprise Server for $5,000 for a couple of VMs if you're giving away a CentOS clone? It's probably the same exact conversation the Red Hat sales team had <laughs> when they decided they needed to change the way CentOS worked. I mean, let's be real here. They would have undermined their own sales with SUSE Liberty Linux. Uh, and so they still have a lot of the infrastructure in place because they have to build these patches. They have to pull down these source RPMs from Red Hat and they have to rebuild them and put them in their pipeline. So they still need the majority of the tooling they would have needed for their own distribution, but they don't undermine their brand and their, and their primary server distribution. <laughs> uh, count me still a little disappointed. It would have been a great laugh. Well, speaking of things that have been in the works for a little while, Wine 7.0 released after a year's worth of developments and over 9,000 changes. There's a lot in here, but one major improvement we've all been waiting for for a long time. That's right, it's WoW 64, also known as the 64-bit Windows on Windows architecture. And Wine now has an implementation that supports running a 32-bit Windows application inside a 64-bit Unix host process. WoW 64 support has also been added to most Unix libraries with Wine 7.0, which means a 32-bit PE module can call back to a 64-bit Unix library. And then, once the remaining modules are converted to the PE format, this should make it possible to run 32-bit applications without having to install 32-bit Unix libraries. That is really kind of a big deal. They've also 
updated the VKD 3D support in this. There's been support for multiple displays improved with a few caveats. We'll have a link in the show notes for as well as some updates to various Direct 3D 10 and 11 features. So this is a major one, and um, it's uh, it's out now and it's fresh. I guess fresh wine in this case is actually a good thing. That's right. We're even using it to record this very episode. Yeah, fair enough. A few of our favorite plugins run in our favorite editor using wine. And like a dope, I decided to upgrade right before the show, and it worked out just fine. Of course it did. Come on, you didn't have faith? <laughs> I must have. I mean, I hit yes to the upgrade. You know, all joking aside, this is a really impressive release. And besides the specifics of that WoW 64 support, there's just been a ton of work to get all of these wine libraries working and building in the PE format. I think at first I didn't fully appreciate exactly why switching the format that, you know, just the format of the libraries, there's there's details around that, but it's not like everything's getting rewritten here. But I think that WoW 64 architecture support, some of these improvements packaged up in 7 are showing that all that work is having some pretty neat downstream effects that we're already seeing the benefit of. Okay, while we're kind of talking about graphics, I think it's probably worth mentioning that a former Intel driver that was responsible for the Vulcan driver over there left a little while ago, and now it appears that they're, maybe you could say, at greener pastures. We're talking about Jason Ekstrand, who up until recently has been the lead developer of Intel's open-source ANV Vulkan Linux driver. Now, Jason left Intel back in December, but just recently revealed some new details about where he'll be working next. Over the years working at Intel, Jason managed to become one of the top five contributors to Mesa, even though he's really only been working on the Linux graphics stack since around 2013. That meant that when he announced he was leaving Intel and hadn't announced where he was going, some were a bit concerned because, I mean, he contributes a lot to the stuff we all take for granted on our desktop. We held our breath. We're like, okay, let's watch. And now we know Jason took to his blog and he wrote that in my new role at Calabra, my mandate consists of two things, invest and mentor the Calabra 3D graphics team and invest in upstream Linux in the open source graphic driver, however I see fit. Yeah, he doubled down on that saying, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to how I spend my engineering effort, I now report directly to upstream. That's exciting for a few reasons, some of which he mentions further on his blog, but things like not being tied to any driver or particular hardware vendor. Jason also seemed to be looking forward to be able to help out his new coworker Alyssa Rosenzweig, who you might know for her work on Asahi Linux and the GPU support over there. It's also just fascinating to watch the continued developments over at Calabra, and the sort of unique arrangement here where Jason won't be expected to do any contract work. I mean, sure, he's obviously helping and training the folks at Calabra, but it's clear they understand that investing in the ecosystem really benefits them as well. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to support the show and get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. $100 means you can really try it out. And you know, Linode has some really great offerings. First of all, they have 11 data centers around the world for you to choose from. They're 30 to 50% less than the big hyperscalers out there. And you know, those big hyperscaler vendors, they're really going to try to pitch you. 
You know, they'll sell themselves as a one-stop shop. All you need is offered here, they'll tell you. But really, that's vendor lock-in. And you'll get so deeply entwined into that vendor's ecosystem that it becomes nearly impossible, or at least cost prohibitive, to get out. Linode can be part of a multi-cloud strategy. Go try it out with that $100 and try it. Everybody's talking about multi-cloud these days. There's a reason for it. And when you look at the pricing of Linode, you look at what they offer, and their services like their S3-compatible object storage, or their Kubernetes management. So if you've already got some infrastructure management in place, Linode can work with that. They got VLAN support, DDoS protection, cloud firewalls, and bare metal servers rolling out as well. And I think one of my favorite things is just the speed. They have very fast CPUs. They've got MVME storage. It's such a great service backed by the best customer support in the business. So go try them out and support the show. It's a great way to keep Linux action news going every single week. Try something out and learn something yourself and support a company that's been pretty great to the community. Linode.com slash LAN. And a tremendous thank you to Ting, linux.ting.com. If you're sick of overpaying for your cell service and you're ready to save some money, go to linux.ting.com and they take 25 bucks off of that. Linux.ting.com. Ting is a mobile virtual network operator. That means that Ting customers get access to the big carrier networks, but with way better customer service and at a lower cost. Ting manages multiple networks. So when you go to their website, they can determine the best coverage in your area. And within minutes, you'll be set and they'll be sending you a SIM card. And you know, Ting Mobile was recently named the number one carrier by Consumer Reports in 2021. How fantastic is that? And that's not the first time Ting has won accolades like that. That's a reason why, and many more, why I've been a customer since 2000 and frickin' 13. Ting Mobile is just simply smarter. They've got great flexible plans, plans with unlimited talk and unlimited text, and every plan gets access to Ting's award-winning customer service with nationwide LTE and 5G coverage. And the best part? No contracts ever. It's super simple to switch to Ting, so just go try it out. Pretty much any phone will work because they got multiple networks they support. Linux.ting.com. Check your current phone. You create an account. You pick the plan that's right for you. Ting's going to send you a SIM card. You're going to pop that in. You're going to get activated in minutes, and you're saving money. It's that easy. Cutting your phone bill in half has never been easier with Ting's great new plans. Check them out. Linux.ting.com. Watch out. This week, we learned about an interesting and perhaps dangerous new vulnerability in our dear Linux kernel. It's a heap-based buffer overflow flaw that was found in the file system context functionality, specifically how one of its legacy functions verified the length of one of its supplied parameters. This ultimately means that with the right exploit, an unprivileged local user that was able to open a file system that didn't support the fancy new file system context API and thus needed to use the legacy stuff, could escalate their privileges to root. Sadly, this bug was introduced way back in 5.1 RC1 and is present in all Linux kernel releases since. That means all supported releases of Ubuntu and Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8.4 GA and onwards. Yeah, 5.1's been around for a while, so get to patching, everybody. And uh, while we're kind of talking about kernel stuff here, we now have learned that Ubuntu 22.04, that's the next LTS that comes out in April, it will ship with Linux 5.15. Now, that makes sense. Linux 5.15 is a long-term support kernel, 
So you'd probably want that in your long-term support distro. But it is a little unfortunate as far as timing goes. You see, Linux 5.16 came out last week. And by the time 2204 ships, well, yes, even Linux 5.17 will be out. And unfortunately, even in just 5.16, there's some major nice-to-haves that would be great in a distribution that's going to be around for a while. Like, for example, in Linux 5.16, we get Alder Lake S graphics enabled. We also get the much-talked-about Futex system call support that'll be necessary for future Wine and Steam Play gaming. Also, those I.O. optimizations we talked about on the show before, yep, those are also in 5.16. I know, and then this one, Wes, this one stings a lot. AMD Ryzen 6000 mobile support. Oh, that would have been nice. Yeah, now there are PPAs available that you can get from Canonical to install a newer kernel on an older version of Ubuntu. But I, I don't think this has satisfied consumers. Um, we are seeing a drainage of Ubuntu users in the Steam stats. Yeah, I mean, Ubuntu used to be kind of dominant, right? The king. That's the default go-to distro for so many people for so long now. I mean, you might recall the original Steam runtime was based on an old version of Ubuntu. So if you wanted the ideal Steam gaming setup, you used Ubuntu. That's just not the case anymore. No, it seems it's an arch world now. I mean, if you take a look at some of the Proton DB stats as Boiling Steam has done, you'll see that Arch Linux has gained progressively and seems to now be at a solid 20% for the last few months. Yeah, and Manjaro itself is almost as large as regular Arch, but Garuda is in those stats, Endeavor OS is in there. And a lot of it seems at the expense of Ubuntu. Yeah, I mean, that adds up to basically half of the gamers on ProtonDB using some kind of arch. Yeah, and that is, that's just like an undeniable number. You can't ignore it. And there is room for non-arch distros. Pop! OS has done pretty well in there. So it really seems to be answering the needs of that particular niche. I mean, I was trying to think about this. What is it about Linux gamers that's driving them to use arch? It's got to be software, right? It's got to be fresh software. You may have a little more willingness to engage with um, getting things right, putting in some effort to, you know, make your gameplay the best that it can be. So you, you might be willing to tinker a bit more than, you know, the average Linux user. But you're right. I mean, that's what's appealing about Arch is you've got the latest and greatest stuff. You basically have no hurdles in your way to customizing the system to try to eke out as much performance as possible. And the ArchWiki has a a lot of great tips for helping you do so. Yeah, and when you have Manjaro and Garuda and Endeavor that are doing some of the heavy lifting for you, it makes getting access to a distro that gives you the freshest drivers, um, and not just the ones that are in the kernel, but NVIDIA drivers and things like that. And it gives you ways to, like, one of the things that's really nice on Arch is you you could easily have a launcher that chooses between the Steam runtime or the native libraries on your system. And they've just done a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but actually, I think it's bigger than that, Wes. I mean, I think definitely with gamers, there's a there's a serious use case for newer software. But I myself have chose Fedora because of their kernel update policy. At, at least one of the reasons is because of Fedora's kernel update policy. And I like Tumbleweed because I get a fresh kernel. And so I'm, I wonder for you, where you kind of use your 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 workstation and, and probably more of a, 
a development workstation mode than than like pushing the hardware. Do you find that um, you're drawn to a distribution with newer kernels, or are you fine on a on a system that uses a kernel from you know a few years ago because everything you've got on that box is supported? Ah, mm, see, it's tough. Okay, there's there's the hat that I have on where I'm the enthusiast, and yeah, I want I want the latest kernel. I want to try some of the features. Plus, I mean, we talk about them on this show, so I know all the neat stuff that they have, and then I just feel like I'm missing out. Kernel FOMO. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's real. <laughs> But on the other hand, yeah, I think a few releases behind. So, you know, if I was running 5.15 and 5.17s out, and aside from the gaming stuff, I don't think I'd notice. But you go much longer than that. And yeah, I think I think I do, especially when, you know, when some of the container technology underneath changes, when there's changes to maybe the stuff you can do with firewalls, when there are major performance changes or new file system features or improvements. I think that stuff does matter. And it's nice to have easy access to it. I agree with you. Like the sweet spot for me is one or two releases behind is okay. Three releases, I start to notice it. Four releases, and I'm like, what is this? Some old system? This is ridiculous. Is this Slackware? Uh, and I just, I guess I just want, I want that stuff in my workstation OS. I don't necessarily need that in my server OS as much. And L- the LTS versions of Ubuntu are used as a server distribution at such a wider deployment scale than they are as a gaming system. So it is an absolutely reasonable choice for Canonical to make. Yes, definitely. And yeah, I can't help but be slightly disappointed because as an enthusiast, um, I'm not likely going to want to deploy it. Um, And I have just recently deployed an Ubuntu server. And once I got it set up, then I removed a couple of the snaps that I accidentally installed by default. it's a pleasant experience, and it is reliable as heck. It just sits there and runs. It's a great little system. I think maybe in some case the um, the stability, the success of the Ubuntu LTS is is maybe backfiring a bit here. Like some of this is ameliorated if you run the the Ubuntu point releases. You know, you kind of do the interim releases. But I mean, you talk to them, folks at Canonical, even sometimes that those are just not what people are running. That's not really the focus, right? And even I think sometimes enthusiasts just kind of forget they exist. You know, after a while, an LTS in its life cycle starts to just feel like Debian. <laughs> That's really what it is. Like, okay, this is pretty much what current Debian is at this point. Not that there's anything wrong no. with that, but it's not exactly shiny. It, yeah, and and it does seem like when you look at the stats, which we will have linked in the show notes, that there's definitely a user base out there that might be choosing their distro just simply because they want the latest kernel, which is wild but it seems to be happening. Speaking of wild, we do this show every single week. Can you believe it? So go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. And if you like to support creators with the value for value model, this show is now on the Lightning Network. You can find out more information at podcastindex.org. We'll be back next week with our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week.